Yeah. What's the difference between a bourbon and a rye? Uh, it's a different s- podcast. It's whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Is that next door? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's coming next week. I think week. you're in the wrong class. <laughs> okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry. Freshman. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> 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 Pacer fans, you're listening to the Undebeatables, your weekly Pacer podcast, and this is Pacers 101. We're coming to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host Joey Gafrida, the man behind the dials and season ticket holder. Joining me, as always, are three weekly analysts, coast to coast like buttered toast, from the nation's capital in Indy. It's the Doctor, Jason Triplett. How's it going, Pacer Nation? It is uh, day two of UndebetaCon. <laughs> We're all still alive, and uh, th- I am happy to report that. <laughs> Things could have gone very bad. Shocking result in that, in that one. From Breckenridge, Colorado, visiting Indianapolis, he's our in-house bartender, mixing up the drinks and the crappy jingles, John Colson. Uh, we are a little worse for the wear, but we are still alive. I'm excited about this one. A little special pod for everybody coming out of um, Undebeated Con. <laughs> uh, and from out west, Seattle, Washington, it's our enforcer, John Harper. Is it possible to be drunk and hungover at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> you tell us. <laughs> Seems to be the case. There's not enough hair on that dog. <laughs> That's what she said? <laughs> No? No. no? I think it works. Okay, I yeah. think it works. Uh, and again, uh, as with our last show, we've got a special guest, best friend of the show, Greg Clark. What up? I just have to say that uh, we're also not in jail, and that is also a plus. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, a shocking result. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Smart play. <laughs> So yeah, this is a little bit of a, a different show. Um, it, it's not uh, the normal show that w- we have. Um, this one's called Pacers 101, and we, we want to sort of get back to the basics of, I guess, of just basketball as a game. So we're going to explain all the bullshit we always talk about? Yeah, all the uh, the, and I, the stuff that I, I don't even know what you guys are saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just smile and nod and carry on. We're just making this up as we go along. The fans have been clamoring for a... Uh, yeah, there's a so I think we've over the time we've done the show we've we've uh, sort of figured out there's a lot of terms uh, and and concepts that uh, maybe not are clear to everybody. Um, so we wanted to yeah try to just get back to basics. This is one of those pods that you can put in your back pocket. If we come up with a term, uh, you know, later in the season you're not sure about, it, you just go back and refer to this pod. It's one you keep on the top of your uh, iTunes. Joe, you're the IT guy. How do you put a pod in your pocket? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think, uh, well, and I, I think this one we may uh, 
we'll have some stuff on the website, which would be you know easy reference. Uh, John's going to write um, an extensive instructions. <laughs> yeah, we'll try also, I think that throughout the pod there will be things that we try to explain visually um, and I th- we'll try to put some diagrams up on the pod too or at least point to other. Um, there's some really good websites out there that sort of show diagrams of plays and things like that. So, yeah. So, uh, well, uh, I think before we can get started with that, we've uh, we've changed up the drinks from uh, last night. <laughs> what, what did you get? The Pendleton's a little Pendleton nineteen ten, <laughs> and I've got well, uh, we got an Amstel light back. Yes, which we um, back. I'll be happy to pair that with. It pairs nicely, I think. Yeah, yeah. And some Jameson in reserve as well. Yeah, exactly. You can go for a traditional Irish wh- Irish whiskey. That's that's how that's said in Ireland. Yeah. I'm looking around. I see uh, Colson. I've never seen you without a high life, so that's on the table. Yeah, but uh, I do have the Amstel light back and an Amstel light. Amstel light back <laughs> and uh, some Bell's Oberon, which mm. uh, I know Harper's been looking to get at since he can't get it out west. Dandin. So let's start with the the very basics. Uh, you've got the court that the uh, the players play on, made from wood. That's right. It's called a field, right? <laughs> it is. That's right. So court dimensions: uh, ninety-four feet by fifty feet wide. The uh, out-of-bounds under the basket is referred to as the baseline. I think we talk about baseline jumpers quite a bit. And 15 feet from the backboard is the free-throw line, also known as the charity stripe. Within that, or part of that, is uh, a 19-foot by 12-foot area, um, plus a half-circle that's considered the lane and the key. But the entire area is called the paint. The paint, right. Okay. Playing in the paint. Plan in the paint. That's uh, where your bigs live and die, right? And, it, you know, we get a stat of points in the paint. That would be scoring from that area. Right. It's also called the lane. It's something right. I'm sure the lane. It as the lane. I mean, we do refer to it as the key as well. You had a fun fact on that. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking at a basketball court, typically the, the free throw line is parallel with the baseline, and then there's two lines that drop down that make a rectangle, right, that is the paint or the lane. And it used to be that those two parallel lines were actually shorter they were closer or together. Closer right? together, yeah. right? So that the free throw line was wider right. than the actual. But you still had that same cinema circle on top, which made it look like, like a key. Yeah. Like 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 yeah. There is a four feet out from the baseline, uh, underneath the basket, uh, a uh, half circle, a semicircle um, designates the restricted area. We'll talk more about that uh, later, but that's important for charges versus blocks. Also, off of the free throw line is. Uh, known as the elbow, you'll actually see a line. That line extends on a lot of courts. It does create an elbow from the lane. No, not a no. single arena in the league. Are you sure? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's like a corner. There's a corner. That's what I'm right, talking about. Right. Corner. Which, it's sort of imaginary. It's you the draw imaginary that line extended all the way line. Yeah, you, yeah you extend If you're the line, along the free throw line, that is the elbow. Right. So that's where you'd find your elbow jumper. Elbow jumper. Yeah. Right. Um, and then there's a three point line. That is uh, 22 feet uh, at the sidelines, and it arcs all the way to 23 feet and 9 inches. That's important, I think, when we talk about long twos. We say it's a 20-footer or you know 18-footer, right. considered a long two versus a 24-footer, which is a three-pointer. And so this is also important to note that 
A three point shot is worth one more is worth more points than a two point shot. Whoa, 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 whoa. slow down <laughs> and slow down. That's going to come into uh, hand when we talk about offensive efficiency and yes, things like that. Right. right. Uh, you do score more points from shooting behind that arc. Right. Uh, there's also an area. So when you think about the sidelines and the 22 foot arc, there's only a three foot area between the right. three point line and the and the sideline. And if you shoot from that area, that's considered a corner three, which is one of the highest percentage shots versus... In terms of efficiency. Yes, because mm-hmm. you get more points, and it's the closest three you can get. Right. Obviously, closer is better. Right. And the reason they can't extend it, the th- three-point line any further is because you just run out of court. Right. right. And, right? These, and, and basketball players have huge feet and, and it, can barely fit in there anyway. And it's probably worth noting that the three-point line distance has changed several times. When did they introduce it? It was originally introduced in the 70s, right? Well, so it came from the ABA. Right. So when the ABA and the NBA uh, merged, they took um, the three-point line from that. So so uh, when you talk about NBA stats before 1976, they are without the three-point arc. Right. 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 So the only three-point play at that time, which you'll sometimes hear to refer to as the traditional three-point play, which is you go for alley-oop, you get fouled, and you go to line for one more. Two plus one. Two plus one. Right. But that's the end of the ratios. You don't really need to have written these down and know exactly. I mean, if you did, that's cool. Uh, We're excited that you're this into it, but we will also post a court dimension thing or a link to a court dimension. Pi R squared. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the next topic is uh, the players and their positions. Before we do that, uh, just, just real quickly... This is maybe basketball 99 and not 101, but the game is 48 minutes long, comprised of four quarters of 12 minutes each, right? That is correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many timeouts does each team get? Seven? Uh, I think it's six. Six. A full timeout is essentially 60, 60 seconds. seconds. Yeah. Um, and there's TV timeouts, which also yeah. comes into play. But, it, you know, as a coach, you get six timeouts. And so if you're a busy person and you're watching NBA games and you want to time... When you actually deal with your children versus when you watch the game, there's and you time- don't have a DVR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have a DVR. The the TV timeouts, as we talked about, come. It'll be the first stoppage after the six minute mark in the first quarter, and then after the nine minute mark and three minute marks of the yeah. second quarter. Yeah. Well, so sorry. First and third, the six after the six minute mark, and then second and fourth after the three and nine minute mark. Okay. Yeah. So if you're timing when to run and get that laundry. You- or beer. You want to get a beer. You got to train the little kid to go get the beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the dog. Or the dog. Dado. Oh, so uh, players in positions. Players in positions. That's what I'm just reading off the page. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are 15 players on each team. So you got 15 roster spots. 13 active players. Right. So there's a minimum. Well, there's also a minimum of 13 players on a team. You have to have at least 13 players. On a team at any given time. However, that means, you know, in injury situations, you can dress a lot less than that. You don't don't have to dress 13, but that's what you have to have in order to have basically a quorum, right? A basketball team. A quorum. So you could have a 13-player roster and not fill it up. Are we not doing Latin this week? (laughs) What happened? Um, Different class. (laughs) That's that's on the right hand side. Sorry, sorry, boys. Cross the hall from Whiskey Well. I'll hit classics. (laughs) So there are uh, two uh, inactive spots 
those two players, if, if you do have a full 15-man roster, two players are not allowed to dress and not allowed to play. So they stand on the sideline naked. <laughs> <laughs> and get pelted with tomatoes. <laughs> do a little dance every time somebody scores. Now, you also, do, you, do there is a practice squad in football, but not in the NBA? Right, correct. So the 15 that you have, that's what you got. That's what you got. Yeah. Well, there's um, also the D, the D League, um, but that's... Right. You could, yeah, the D League is you send guys down there. Right, right. right. Um, it's the minors of basketball. Right. And you can send them back, but you can't have right. like six D League guys. Technically, all of those guys can be on your team if you have a roster spot to fill. Right. So you right. can trade one of your active 15 for. Or just cut a guy, guys. or if somebody gets injured, season ending injury, you can bring up a guy from the D League. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> you right? So, so there are uh, five players on the court at all time for each team, and there are tr- five traditional positions. Uh, those are the point guard, the shooting guard, the small forward, the power forward, and the center. Each pos- position tends to, but is not limited to, size and skill set. So in general, your smallest player is your point guard, and your tallest player is your center, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, it just tends towards those things. And there's I'm gonna, no rules. I'm going right. to interject a fun fact. So you would traditionally talk about, so there's the five positions that you just outlined, and they can be broken down into the front court, yes. which are the forwards and center, and the back court, which are the two guard positions. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're called the back court, actually, is in the original version of basketball, the back court players could not cross half court. Uh, yeah. Because they'd be too close to the apple bucket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they would hit their head. Peaches. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the front court guy basically you played three on five on offense, right? Because the back court guys could not come across them. Yeah, that was some exciting <laughs> watching. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was also no the shot clock then, so there's a lot of dribbling around. Yeah. Thankfully, rules have been changed. Yeah. Well, and another fun fact is my mother actually played that way. Is that right? When okay, she yeah. was in in high school yeah, uh, yeah. in Iowa. Uh, they were, I think, the last state to switch over to the modern, uh, okay. the modern style. But well, little known fact: Iowa actually is still in the 1850s. <laughs> it's time fact. travel. You across <laughs> the state line. That's weird. I'm going there. This will be fun to look forward to. Yeah, yeah you are heading that way. Check out a basketball game right there. Um, uh, also, we just talked about the front court as uh, small forward, power forward, and center. But oftentimes, people refer to the front court as just the power forward and the center as well. Well, because, yeah, because of the way that the game has evolved. And right. that's, yeah. Right. But, it, I mean, it's worth, three it's worth noting. Yeah, three guard lineups. Right. You know, that's They'll talk thing. about the backcourt is two guys, the frontcourt is two guys, and then you just got yeah. apparently an X factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we do often refer to players or positions as numbers, um, which gets confusing, but it's very simple. The point guard is one, the shooting guard is two, the small forward is three, the power forward is four, and the center is five. Point guards tend to be smallest, tenors tend to be the largest, so it basically goes in order of height. <laughs> and also, um, there is some sense of, I, I always like to think about uh, the floor uh, and then the positions, uh, the numbers get higher the closer they get to the basket. So, mm-hmm. right. so point guard would be furthest away, they're the one, the center's closest to the basket, that's five. Sure. So just a way for me to visually think about it. So what do the positions do, right? So um, we need to talk about responsibilities. Sure. So the point guard uh, traditionally handles the ball, brings it up the court, 
um, and is the coach on the floor. He's your best ball handler. Ideally, he's a fairly good jump shooter. Or but not if, necessary. Or if not, at least can get into the lane right. um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe create from there. But you want him to be a great passer and a great ball handler. And he really has to have a basketball IQ. Has to set up the offense. He's he, Yeah, he's got to be the coach by proxy. And, and one of the things I wanted to do to, to kind of help people with positions is to name famous point guards. Because there are point guards that pretty much every average uh, basketball fan or even person has heard of. Isaiah Thomas uh, was a point guard. Big O, Indiana product. Oscar, uh, Oscar Robertson, Robertson uh, was a point guard. And uh, Magic Johnson also played point guard positions. So. And currently, you've got the likes of, if you go back far enough, Jason Kidd once played in the league. Steve Nash. Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Rondo. Kyrie Irving. Those, the, yeah. I mean, those are sort of, you know, your, your great ones. Uh, George Hill. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Georgia. We'll get well, to we'll get great, to that. The great test. <laughs> right, right. We'll get to uh, what positions uh, <laughs> the Pacers play here in a minute. Uh, the shooting guard is traditionally a shooter, shockingly enough. Tends to have the longest range. Just That's think Reggie Miller. Reggie yeah. Miller is as pure a two as you can have, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. The other famous two guards would be Michael Jordan and Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Tons of range. Um, you want uh, they, they need to be able to handle the ball. You want them to be great passers, but a lot of what they do is create space for other people by having by scoring a we deep have a, shot right by being yeah, yeah. They, they stretch the floor and they when we say the stretch the floor I mean it, stre- it uh, pulls the uh, defense away right. from the other players by having a long range when shot. you make someone defend you away from the basket it takes a warm body away so that you know if there's you do more. decide to pass that person can get in the lane with less traffic there's more room in the paint when you've got shooters precisely mm-hmm and now that we've talked about pain, I feel like I can say that without everybody understanding. This is great. It didn't, it didn't stop you before. <laughs> uh, small forwards. Traditionally, the utility guy. Uh, you expect that player to do a little bit of everything. Uh, they can often shoot, but they can also post up. And they're also expected to rebound more than guards. Famous small forwards. Larry Bird. Scotty Pippen. LeBron James. Baby Al. <laughs> Baby Al. <laughs> Baby Al. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that the small forward is sort of the utility player of yeah. the basketball court. I think that's really well put. They can yeah. sort of do everything. That's the idea. They can play well outside. They typically can shoot, but they also are tall enough and strong sure. enough to, to sort to of go battle down on the inside. Yeah. Jack of all trades. Right. That's right. They're sort of a midfielder. In, I mean, there was a time when... In football. There was a time when the three was very much a front court player, tended to play with their back to the basket. Um, right. And Larry Bird, in many ways, is credited with changing what that position means mm-hmm. yeah. by being tall and a great ball handler and a great passer and a great rebounder. And a great as, trash talker. And a, <laughs> the best. Trash and having player. an awesome mullet and an awful, terrible stash. Is there such thing as an awesome mullet? <laughs> <laughs> Did I just say an awful, terrible stash? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it was that bad. It was, that's, that's, it was a, that's a technical <laughs> term. <laughs> um, but so I, I think, you know, we can talk about the evolution of these positions, but the three is the one that has changed the most in terms of now you are expected to have most of the time a three-point shot and be able to back a guy down and pound. Right. I think the other position that's been revolutionized is the power forward position. Sure. So traditionally this player plays close to the basket uh, is required to defend, block shots, uh, rebound, uh, and score in the low post. But that has changed with the idea of the stretch four, where you get a guy that traditionally didn't even have to shoot outside of 10 feet, now shoots three-pointers. 
You think of like a Dirk Nowitzki. You know, that's why we talk about stretch force. Um, there's also the idea of the point forward. A guy like Antoine Walker or Chris Weber who takes a lot of uh, point guard responsibilities from the four position um, with distributing the ball and, and setting up plays. So so that, that position has equally evolved um, with the small forward position. I agree. And the, the reason it's called a stretch four is pretty intuitive in that they do play with their back to the basket less and sort of post up, and they're shooting those threes, right? So, again, they're stretching the floor. So you call them a stretch Creating player. more space. Creating space for other players. <clears throat> and, and, and you, uh, when we think about it, David West, a uh, power forward who plays a lot from the high post, can help facilitate the offense from further out on the court. David West is not a stretch forward. No, he's not a stretch forward. But what I'm saying is uh, that pulls him away in a way that he's not necessarily I, all the I, way in the back. I, I he's still, he's he's still spacing it. I, he does a great job of spacing, but I think that the sort of current prototypical stretch forward would be Josh Smith. He's right. a guy with a legitimate three-point range sure. who can also post shit up. Right. And, you know, he's and a full-blown all-star. But. And he's also a head case. Yes. Is that part of the... Uh, if he got his head in the... If he thought the game more. Yeah. <laughs> you got to think again. <laughs> Famous power forwards would be uh, Tim Duncan. Timmy. Kevin Garnett. And uh, Sir Charles. Charles Barkley, an analyst on TNT. And uh, one-time aspiring politician. <laughs> Barkley also played some three, though. Yeah, well, he was Barkley was six six, but six uh, five. He was really small for his position. Right. But. I mean, it's, it's worth noting that most power forwards are six ten. Right. Six right. ten would be six yeah. eight, six nine, six ten, six eleven would be right. your size. But Charles size. had the butt the size of a seven. He foot. did. <laughs> there was a reason they called him the round mound of rebound. The round mound. And Jermaine O'Neal was power forward. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Yeah. 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 For, yeah. for Pacers fans, <laughs> yeah. Jermaine O'Neal and the Davis brothers. Those the Davis yeah. boys are very. Yeah, right. that's forwards think there. about. Yeah, well, I mean, those guys were both four fives. I think Jermaine O'Neal is a very sort of typical four, right? So he's got a solid twenty foot in jumper, but also he can beat you in the lane with a dribble. He's got low post moves. He's yeah, he can right. you know he can hit shots close to the rim. Right? Solid cornrows. Solid cornrows. <laughs> right. Not right. anymore. No. Shout out to Tom Luce, Mandy cornrows. Yeah. yeah, big fan. Yeah, yeah big, big time. That's right. Uh, so the center position traditionally uh, plays closest to the basket. They are usually uh, a key to the team's defensive scheme. Uh, generally, have some sort of post uh, low post game. Um, famous centers uh, can't think of any. Yeah, centers have been traditionally the most dominant position in a lot of ways. And and the theory used to be you couldn't win a championship without a dominant center. That has evolved as well over time. But you think about guys like Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Shaquille O'Neal, um, these guys won lots of ranks. Well, well, only and in one, fact, this, the center position has evolved so much now that the NBA doesn't even list it on the All-Star ballot. That is true. Because so few guys play the traditional center position anymore. Now there's just you vote right, for two right. front court so, guys and two back. I, I, I mean, I think three front court. Especially, so. I think that position we have to talk about it as like a binary, right? The old center position was all. Back Basically, back, dunks, yeah. dunks, dunks, rebounds, and blocks. Right. That's what you did, right? right? I mean, Bill Russell is the perfect five. Right. Now, you've got small forwards that are routinely, if not seven feet, close to it. Yeah. So when you have that kind of size at a position that used to be dominated by six five guys, uh, the center position has had to change. And now a lot more is expected of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you're, you're right in, in the integral into the defensive concept. They tend to be the guy who patrols the paint, right. waits for the guy to come in there, and swats the ball in the 10th row. Right, or at least tries to change the shot if they can't block yeah. it. Right. right, and and is responsible for that rebound. Right. 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 Unless so, your name is Dwight Howard. Thank you. <laughs> well, then you're responsible for cussing out Mitch Kupchak. That's your job. So, well, there are a couple things we've mentioned. We uh, perimeter players, so those guys play on the perimeter. Um, wing, wing. Can you define perimeter? <laughs> uh, so the perimeter would be um, the three-point line in that area outside of... Uh, I, I'd say anything outside of 16 feet would yeah. be considered perimeter. So sort of if you were to draw an arc around the free-throw line, right? Sure. If you were to draw a concentric arc centering at the basket... Around the free throw line. Anything outside of that is the perimeter. Geometry pitches. Paint. (laughs) (laughs) We also mentioned the uh, term wing player we have in the past. Um, Wing players we think of are guys that play on the wing, usually small forwards. I think more often than not, we talk about wing defenders, right? I mean, there there certainly are wing players, Mm -hmm. but I, I think the term that we usually use is wing defenders, right? You need a guy who can get out there. You know, and, and a perfect example would be like an Avery Bradley or, or even a Paul George, right? Who can get out to the three point line and guard effectively, like a really good and so on the ball defender, on the so ball they, defender, who's not going to let you run by. Right. So the reason that they're called the wing comes from where they traditionally play, I guess, on the court, right? So this is another part of the court we haven't defined. So the wing is the Pegasus part. Sort of say, 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 if you take a forty five degree angle out from the basket towards the. Yeah, lots of geometry. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> we're doing a lot of drawing on the table, a lot of air movements. Sort of at this angle, right? So lots of offense will initiate, you'll notice, sort of uh, from a from an angle, not not directly straight out from the center, right? Right, right. And so that's the wing, right. basically, right? So but certainly within, I mean, from the center of the basket. Are you center. a Hawks fan? <laughs> <laughs> Let us pause this while we beat the shit out of Joey for being a Hawks fan. Oh, and no. No, it's from Arrested Development. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a chicken. <laughs> I'm so excited for that show to come back. I'm, I'm going to lose my shit for sure. I thought they were doing a movie. They're not. They're doing, a, uh, they're doing on a, Netflix. a full season, and then they're they're putting a movie. Might on. be Undebutacon too. So yeah, reconvene to watch the movie. No <laughs> doubt. I think that'll be Undebutacon like five. We're, we're doing this a lot between now and then. I hope. No, it's coming out like in May. Oh, okay. Well, at least there's <laughs> a lot of trips. No, home the show. Next month. The show is like. So soon. we're looking a year from now would be the movie. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Look it up. Okay, that was a diverge. Draw, draw a diagram. Of that. So a, a wing player wouldn't play out on top, which would be at the top of the uh, key, the top of the arc, right? Directly from the basket, wing players coming from the sides. Right. Right. So you can imagine like a point guard comes down and is in the center of the court, and then will pass the ball off to the left or the right, and that's sort of the way the, the play starts, and that's where the wing. Right, and the, and the, and they uh, sort of a wing defender would generally guard. A two, a shooting guard, or a three, a small right. forward, right. out near the three point arc, and have to be versatile enough Closer to do to both those things right. and to keep them from the basket. Right, right, mm-hmm. and to keep to keep them in front and be able to defend a three point shot. Right, which is not easy. Um, there's also uh, we've referred to bigs quite a bit. Um, sure. Those are just the big guys. They play usually the power forward position or the center position. Four or five, four or five. generally. Yeah. yeah. Front, um, court, front court players. Tweeners. Or people that play between positions. Um, I 
Well, I don't know. That. I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I think for for me, a tweener. I, I think it originally is a scouting term, right? Which is, uh, I, I think, what you see most often when people talk about tweeners would be like between a, sh- a small forward and a power forward. Not necessarily with the size to play four, yeah, but without the range to play three right. or right? the so ball makes, handling skills. Or the ball or, handling skills, right? So, so that makes you a tweener, right? You're you're not quite tall enough to be a four, but you're not quite guard like enough to be a three. Right. Well, I think a nice way of saying tweener when you're talking about uh, guards is a combo guard. Essentially, is a tweener, right? It's it's a, a shooting guard that's too small. Well, I, I think that's true, but I think you hear it most guard. often between threes, fours. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying I think they've term. come up with the term combo guard. Uh, just to make it sound so like sort I, of the I, I guy you brought up earlier, Charles Barkley would be like what? sort of. I'm sure Very that when he was being scouted, he was the tweener, thought of as a tweener, right? Because right. he's not really tall enough. Well, he would be now. I think back then, I mean, it was okay. I mean, he was short back then, but he wasn't like now. They'd be like, "This guy can't play in the NBA," right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and what a loss that would be. Yeah, right. truly, truly fantastic. Just for his analysis. Yeah. Um, so the traditional, those are traditional positions. Sort of talking about that. But the game has evolved and made these things murky, as we talked about tweeners, combo guards. Uh, coaches often choose to go small now, uh, fielding a team without a traditional center. It often employs uh, a three-guard lineup where you're bringing in three guards instead of traditional small forward. And then your small forward can act as a stretch four. Small. When we talk about small ball, those teams are quicker and have more shooters on the floor. And... Um, have started to revolutionize the game. That's probably good for the first half. Yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's bring in some scoop dubs. Here we go. Hey, yo, yo, yo. One in the hand is worth two in the push. But it's often not without the trap to push. Hey, yo, aim high in everything you do. Try to do what's good and good returns to you. Cause commas on a cycle, that's the universal truth. Pull up your pants, money, stop acting so uncouth. These days, kids locked in the system. Poverty in public school was no one listening. Running round wild out past the street lights. How many young souls get lost to the night? It sort of feels like that no hope is coming. So with minds stuck, the youth resort to dog running. Not every actor makes it to the big screen. You gotta have more than night hustles and schemes. Turn off the television, put a book in your face. The media's projecting definitions of race. Sort of back from the break. We want to talk a little bit about some offense, some defense, and some uh, other basic terminologies, which is plurals. Plurals is. Plurals is. So first, what do you got? Uh, your basic defense. You've got your zone and your man-to-man are the two basic ones. Yeah, man-to-man would be the predominant defense in the NBA. Um, zone was legalized 10 years ago. In the NBA? Yeah, legalize it, man. Yeah. Was... <laughs> you might have seen signs. There's a big campaign. Right, right, right. right. Uh, it's like the ballot. Uh, yeah. it's, it's only used sparingly, usually as a change of pace in the NBA. Just for the record, Colson and I actually got an argument about what legalizing the zone meant last night. That's right. Which, which may or may not be over. But at its base, man-to-man is the most important thing that you need to know. And that's... You guard your man. You guard your man. Wherever he goes. If he runs to the locker room, you follow him. Right. And... It's your job yeah. to make sure that he doesn't score. It's like the Hoosiers thing. Yeah. Uh, if that guy... I want to know what flavor gum that guy is. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Spearmint, I think, was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Wintergreen. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yes. uh, and then zone would be um, where you guard a space on the floor. So you're not guarding your man. You're guarding uh, an area. So if a, a man comes into that area, you're responsible for guarding him at that point. Correct. 
Very, very true. So, you know, when coaches draw plays at its base, obviously you've got the five guys on the floor. The point guard would be the guy sort of right in front of the basket near the three-point line. And the other two guys are stacked up, right, two and three, maybe 15 feet from the basket, and then four and five, five feet away from the basket. On the baseline kind of area on either it, side of the it, basket. It, right, exactly. So You see that more in college. Yeah, it's you, you see it much more in college. college. Yeah, you right. see it much more in college. And, and you also see in zone where one player will come over and then the other player will come over and help him. So it's almost... Right. So uh, that, that there is complexity to be had, but at its base, you basically are responsible for a fifth of the floor, right? So you draw a circle out six feet from you, and you're responsible for that area. If a guy comes in there, make sure he doesn't score. Outside of that, it's someone else's job. Um, the advantages to the zone are a couple things. One, you can always see where the ball is, right? So you can take away passing lanes potentially um, because you can always look at the ball handler as opposed to looking at your man. One of the big- and you're always sort of defending. You know, you can have multiple people defending the ball at some level. Right, right, right. Whereas if you're in man-on-man, sometimes you can be on an island, and if that guy beats you... right. Then they can, it causes right. a, a, a domino effect right. of sure. everybody else. They can take the everybody off your side of the floor and just put you against LeBron James, right? And it's just you and him. Right. Yeah. And he's going to beat you. He's going to beat you a lot right. with a big stick. The reason that zone <laughs> is not used um, very much in the NBA is that these are the best athletes and most talented players in the world. And there are ways to beat a zone uh, by getting into the heart of the zone. Um, you make that zone collapse, which frees open a lot of people, uh, and, and there are a lot of good shooters. And, in the, in right, the, and by making it collapse, we mean that... They all suck in towards and, the ball in the middle. Right, all five of those guys tend to go towards the paint at that point because it's no one's job specifically, it's everyone's job collectively, so everybody just kind of runs at it, and then there's open people on the outside, so what you need to beat the zone are shooters. Right, right. And, and, and people that are able to beat their men off the dribble and cut into the lane. So exactly. th- there's Creating less the of that in the uh, – right. uh, there's less talent in the college uh, pool. Um, the zone's more effective against – And the other thing that the NBA does is the rules sort of – while zones are allowed, the rules prohibit sort of traditional zone tactics being used, right? So uh, the most classic zone is a 2-3 is a zone. Right, so there's two guys out top, and then three guys in the down low. Yeah, it'll be quick, right? <laughs> and then the the idea is that you put your tallest guy, your rim defender, which is another you camp term him out by the rim, and he just hangs out by the rim, and if anybody comes in, he either fouls him or blocks a shot. Right, and so the NBA does not necessarily want that to happen, right? Because they are an entertainment they want, industry. They want scoring. They want scoring. They want dunks. They want highlight plays. Right. So to prevent that, what they've done is instituted a three-second rule on defense, right? Correct. So a def- you, as a defender, cannot hang out in the lane for more than three seconds. If you do, that's a technical foul, right? So if, as you're watching games, you'll see three somebody called defensive three seconds right. or something. Like and so the, the, way that, the way that they enforce that in terms of rules is you have to be within, I think, arm's length is yes, what they use. arm's length of your defender, right. the so person you're defending. You should be able to reach out and touch the a guy. doesn't matter which guy it is. Just any guy from the other team. As long as you can do that, right. then you're legit. You can camp out in the lane all day. You can camp out in the lane all day. Right. Um, but barring that, you can't do it. And sort of reciprocally, the NBA really wants that lane open. So there's a, also a three seconds, 
three second violation on the offensive. Offensive. End, right? So basically, and there's also a five second back to the basket rule. You can't just get the ball, take eighteen dribbles, and hang out there, right? So as an offensive right. player, you've you basically got five seconds from the back to the rim, and you either need to take a shot or pass. And those things generate movement. Those things generate movement. They create excitement. Um, right. The other thing, just real quickly, about zone in the NBA, I, I think that the one of the other big reasons that people don't use it is because it hurts you rebounding. Mm-hmm. Um, by looking away from the basket, you're not looking at the rim, right. right? And that gives other people a chance to get in front of you and block out. So it, it does hurt you in a couple different ways. Um, so I think, uh, you know, with the athletes that are in the NBA, it's primarily used as a change of pace. Um, any coach who comes to the NBA and tries to primarily play zone will be fired pretty fast. And that we've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. That's because everybody in the NBA can shoot the ball pretty much. Everybody can shoot the ball. I mean, fives zone, can shoot the ball. Right? Zones, you know, kind of leave people open. Right. And there, 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 Yeah, there, there's tons of soft spots in the zone. If anybody out there watches football, it's the same deal, right? There's going to be soft spots. If you can find it, you will be open. And so, and, and there's so much talent that, you know, anybody can... Yeah, the athleticism in the NBA is just off the charts. You know, just uh, pop it out to anybody. I mean, you're, you know, and they shoot the ball and they can make it. I love NCAA basketball. I do. Um, but I've just never understood the argument that it's just a better game. Yeah. The athleticism in the NBA is so ridiculous. I will go on record to say I do not like NCAA basketball. <laughs> I like the atmosphere. I love the atmosphere. Sure. There's tons of fun stuff, right? And these kids playing their hearts out, and you yeah. got the crowds going crazy. I love that part you know, of it. The tournament is a one-and-done tournament. There's a ton of things to love about it. Right. There's a lot of things that I don't like about right. it. But the level of play is, frankly, yeah. just not as good. And that's what makes the NBA great. You mm-hmm. cannot everybody who is not the best of the best, and the NBA is great for that. So, well, now, yeah. so in uh, in the NBA, you primarily run a man-to-man. There are a couple things that, that come off of that. that uh, you can double-team. Players, there's a, a press where you're. Um, press is just short for pressure, right? It just right. means that you bring heat, right? You bring an extra guy, or you make them work longer to get longer across the to get across line. the half court, right. right? Which is called the timeline, right? Um, and there's an eight second rule to get past that half court when you're bringing up uh, the ball, which was shortened recently. I think four years ago, it used to be ten seconds. Now right. it's eight. Now it's eight. And so you can put uh, defenders on the on that ball handler. It slows, uh, it's basically shortens the shot clock for them because if it takes them eight seconds to get across the half uh, right. half court line, they have less time to set up their offense. And so if you do it, I mean, besides being pesky, if you do it well, you can just. You can win the ball, right? I mean, you can create a turnover with that with that press. That so that's that, that's one of the few ways that you get off directly man to man. But outside of that, it's right. pretty much your stand. So, Colson, what as an offensive team, there's really only one play that's truly important. Right. I mean, there's tons of different ways to run an offense, but the big one is the pick and roll. The pick and roll, uh, and the Pacers use it a lot. Uh, as is every team. Yeah, no, it is it's sort of the staple of the NBA offense. I mean, the Spurs butter their bread with the pick and roll, and they're the greatest franchise that I've seen over a 15-year span in many right. ways, right? And so the idea here, right, is that you're going to take advantage of the fact that you're, the defense you're playing against is playing man-to-man. Right. But what you're going to do is the play starts with a pick. And a pick, there's... Or pseudonyms for this, which is a screen. It's basically a player that does not have the ball obstructs the path of the defender of 
the, on the ball. They can't be moving. Right. They have to be stationary. They do have right. to be stationary. So you'll see, uh, typically it happens at the, the top of the key, right? Which we know what this is now. That's right. So you'll see the point guard with the ball. Typically a big guy will come and yeah. set a screen to the right or the left right. of the defender that's on the ball. So, yeah, so the, the point guard will have the ball and you just see a big guy just run over there randomly. Yeah. The reason for that is to knock his guy off the ball. Exactly. And so then the the that's the pick part of it. And so the point guard with the ball will move in the direction of the screen. So now his man has been screened from progress. Uh, and then lots of things can happen. Right. He's trying to brush his <clears throat> defender off on his uh, teammate. Right. He, he does, right? So, so at this point, defensively, you have to make a decision. Right. Mm-hmm. Several different things that you can do. So let's just, for argument's sake, let's say you've got a point guard and a center, right? So you've got your point guard, and he runs across his own man, and that means that the point guard who guards him falls a step behind. So you can either try and go around him near the three-point line and stay on top. It's going over the screen right? and try to stick with your man that way. But if he goes directly to the rim, he's going to get a layup. Mm-hmm. If that same defender decides to go what's called underneath the screen, which is behind that, that pick, then he has an open jumper, but it's from far away from the basket. Mm-hmm. The third option there is to is to switch. And that's let the five... And, and this is what the Pacers do, right? We, we call it blitzing the pick and roll. Well, no, so there, there's a, the switch is different than the blitz. So you can switch completely. The, you, the five can start guarding that point guard until you have time to switch back. Mm-hmm. Yes, we should, yes, we should definitely make these terms different. So I mean, if you switch completely, then you have a center on a one, right. and Which eventually you're going to lose that match. Right. That so is you a try to get that switched back when you can, but right. if... So what the Pacers do to sort of combat that is what's called a blitz, which is basically run out your five and take away space and make maybe that point guard get farther away from the basket, and it gives you time for your point guard to recover. Whether he goes underneath or on top of that screen, it gives him time to get back there, and then you can switch back to your original man-to-man. So what you'll see is the big man you know, sort of lunge or move towards uh, the point guard, giving... His other point guard time to catch up. Joe, does this make any sense? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that that was a that was a long way of saying no. Yeah, um, uh, it's difficult to see without visual aids, but essentially what's happening is, and and this we bring up the pick and roll because we think that this is the easiest thing for the casual fan to pick out, sort of in the the flow of the game. It happens early and often. Yeah, it happens early and often, right? And so basically what's happening is you're, it's a concentrated place where you can create movement and space. Right. Right. And potentially mismatches. And right. potentially mismatches. Um, and so and I guess we addressed the first part. So the pick, is, the pick has been set, and then the defenders are going to do certain things. They're either going to blitz it, or they're going to go under, or they're going to go over. You have over, to react in some switch, way. Switch, right? Right. And then the next part of the play is sort of what the guy that set the screen does, right? So right. he can now do what's called a roll, right? So the pick and roll is he goes to the basket, towards the basket. Right. And now you've created sort of confusion at the point of attack. And so maybe he's wide open and the point guard can well, deliver a pass and get a, a lay. And, and he makes this decision based upon the defense's choices. Right. Right? So if 
you know, if they come up high, if they sort of blitz that pick and roll, uh, or, or they blitz that pick, then you want to roll, right? Because then your your point guard, your one, is still high, and mm-hmm. you want to give him a chance to pass you the ball as you roll to the rim, right? Mm-hmm. To get a dunk, um, right? But if he, if like, let's say that 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 guard goes tries to go on top of the screen, in that case, that point guard will run to the rim himself. And you want to roll behind him, right? So that gives him an outlet if he gets to the rim and someone... There's a big dude there. There's a big dude there. So then you just kick it back to him, and he he, he should have an open jump shot at yeah. that point. The so, other term for that, I think, is the pick and pop. The pick and pop. We'll call that. Yeah. So instead of... It's, after you set the screen, instead of going towards the basket, you sort of go to open space around where you are. Say, go three right. feet directly lateral. Right. And then you, you're wide open. You take the jumper. And it, at the end of the day, it. all offense is predicated upon creating space and making the defense make a choice, right? To bring this back to, to Pacers, for the Pacers fan, one of the uh, plays we run most often, we come down the floor, uh, David West sets the pick, Paul George, or George Hill runs off that pick, um, and then, of course, all those options we talked about. But what most often happens is that if uh, George Hill doesn't shoot or cut to the basket... Um, West, instead of rolling to the bucket, steps out into space. And George Hill then passes it to him at the elbow. And he then has options because his defender's away from him to sure. make a pass himself. Sure. We talk about the point sure, forward. Sure. Sure, and sure. so that's that's one of the ways you talk about the pick and roll or the pick and pop and turns into a high post offense. So it's all hybrid and interesting. But that that's where you're going to notice it most as a Pacer fan, right. I think. And I refer often to the two-man game. And that's what I'm talking about, right? George Hill and David West have a great two-man game. And that doesn't mean that everyone else is standing around watching for something to happen. But it means that that's where your attention is supposed to be drawn. These other guys can move without the ball and be creative. But everyone sh- they want the defense to be looking at George Hill and David West running the pick and roll. Because they're both weapons offensively. Because they're both weapons, right? right? Mm-hmm. They can both hit from 20 feet. And, 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 that just, and, and also pass. David West is a great passer right. from the high post, right? So... Even if you make a decision that you want to make David West have the ball up there, he can still hurt you. Right. I think at the end of the day, the you know the pick and roll is it's kind of bread like most teams. It's it's a good bread and butter. To, you you create your space. But what happens at the beginning of the day? At the beginning of the day, <laughs> you're practicing. <laughs> you're practicing the pick and roll. Right? <laughs> there you go. I'm just yeah. butter and bread. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if this is useful for anybody, for anybody, but sort of when I was learning how basketball worked, my dad taught me to just follow one guy during a possession, even if that guy doesn't have the ball. Just follow him and watch what he does. Yeah. And if you do that for a few possessions in a row, you'll start and start to see guy. sort of a method to the madness or whatever. Yeah. Like, and you'll see that he'll be involved in different plays and oh, the, and the best was watching Reggie Miller do that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, he knew it, the ball was coming to him somehow at some point, but he's going to do fifteen seconds. But it, I mean, of it looks like bloody and, chaos, right? But it's yeah. not. It's but it's not. It is yeah. not only is it orchestrated, but it is precise as hell. And if I mean, you watch, it's Marvin if you watch old games with Reggie Miller, they will have a camera on him. The whole time, and they're like, "All right, let's watch this because this is beautiful." Right, because yeah. he comes off three different guys to get where he gets to. Right, and then he's just like wide open, and then he right. draws the foul. Yeah, and I think that that that's a good way, like, sort of, if you're interested in getting into the game and how the game is working, like, 
because I think the casual fan or or even me, right? Like the most interesting thing that's happening is at the ball, right? You follow the ball around, sure. but if you can let yourself just follow an individual player around, you can see sort of more things that are happening. See, and that's true. Start both, to move, right? Yeah, and, you, and that's true about the offensive end, the defensive end. Sure. I think, so. Yeah. I think next we want to talk a little bit about uh, some ways we we sort of uh, judge the games after they're over the, the box scores pace or win pace or loss is it yeah, yeah. get your <laughs> W's <laughs> it could be an ugly win but we'll take it yeah <laughs> wins well, a so, win no, no extra points for pretty so, so if, you, if you get on ESPN.com or if you still get the newspaper the what um, exactly. <laughs> newspaper <laughs> um, or, or get the newspaper online probably more likely um there's a box score. Uh, it has points, rebounds, assists, fouls, blocks, steals, turnovers, and minutes for each player, including their uh, field goal percentage and their three-point uh, field goal percentage and their free throw field goal Not in a newspaper. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it has most of those. Right? I know. But it, uh, <laughs> it's got like three stats well, so in the newspaper, I think. The, the only things that I thought to point out here, uh, assists are uh, given to the player who passes... Uh, to someone directly leading to a basket. Yeah, no, it has to be directly right. leading to a basket. Um, There's no. They're, they're actually they're, they're they're fairly rigid about what an assist is in the NBA. Um, in other sports like hockey or soccer, um, they're they're fairly loose with that definition. But in basketball, uh, you basically got to pass the guy and like Who's no dribbles or, or a dribble, right. and mm-hmm. that's it. It's got to go down. Right. Uh, and then there are rebounds. There's two types of rebounds. There's offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. Those sort of are, um, make sense. Um, at the end of an offensive um, possession, if your team grabs the rebound, that's an offensive rebound. And if, you continue your offense. If the, if the offensive team. Right. right, the offensive team. If your team gets your own miss. Right, that's an offensive rebound. And uh, other rebounds, When what's more typical is that the, uh, the team defending gets the rebound and then starts their own possession. 70% of the time. Yeah. The other team gets the rebound. Offensive rebounds are really damaging um, because you play defense for 24 seconds or whatever, and then you don't get the ball back. You either yeah. give up a – sorry. Oh, I was just going to say we should throw out synonyms uh, while we're doing this too. So re- we'll often refer to rebounds as boards right. or hitting glass. the glass. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just another term. For assists, we'll talk about dimes. Right. I think it's the most we do common. Like, we do uh, like calling them dimes. Yep. Uh, assist term. Um, also worth noting, so I, we haven't mentioned, we, we sort of in passing mentioned the shot clock, but if the ball hits the rim, no matter what, you get 24 more seconds to make something happen. Mm-hmm. If Unless you get the ball gets stuck up there. Uh, well, in that case, it becomes a jump ball, but jump that's, ball. yeah, that's... We're not dealing with that. A, <laughs> well, well, no, we're I, not, I, but don't know. I, I saw two last week. Like, yeah, I've seen three great. in the past five years and two last week. That was very bizarre. But. Um, and then turnovers... Um, you get turnovers if you say if you travel. Well, you know you carry the ball. You're not allowed to do that. You have to dribble when you when you. You do have to dribble when you run around. Uh, you, you pass the ball to the other team. You pass the ball out of bounds. Or uh, if you get an offensive foul, where um, also considered a turnover. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then uh, and then if you're on ESPN, uh, at the end of their box box scores, they have what's called a plus minus, and we refer to this quite often uh, on the. Uh, 
pod. I think it's Harper's favorite stat, and so I'm going to let you explain that. Originally, this was a hockey stat, mm-hmm. uh, and that's you know when you're on the floor for whatever minutes you're out there. Um, What's the net score? What, right. What is what is your net effect on that game? Right. So if if while you're out there, your team scores eight more points than the other team, then you're a plus eight in the plus minus. Conversely, obviously, if if they score eight more than you guys while you're out there, um, then you're a minus eight. And it, it tends to suggest something about um, the time you spend on the floor. Mm-hmm. It, it it definitely suggests something. It's not a be all end all. Right. And it's not direct. Even though it seems like that. lying to a certain player. Right. It is but, about the five man unit on that floor at that time. Exactly. So, and, and, and yeah, it does. You're independent of everybody else, so it's saying your contribution is sort of what's insinuating. In any one game, it doesn't mean that much, maybe. But over the course of a season, that plus minus becomes a big number. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you're negative 450 for this for the year then you're been you're getting traded <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're on the floor your team is doing your poorly. team is doing your poorly. team is doing poorly right you right. is in in some way you are not contributing enough to me and that's and i mean maybe they just put you out there with a bunch of crappy guys i mean that is a possibility sure, sure. it can be mm-hmm. so i mean you have to take it with a grain of salt it's a piece of information but it's it, a lot it's, of, it's an interesting piece of information. and that one but that stat particularly has a lot of context to it tons you know? of context right so I mean we, we've talked about how we always leave an extra you know a starter out with our bench right but that negatively affects generally that right. starter and that That's tends right. to be David West so that affects his plus minus in the right. picture so even though what he does with the starters he's plus 20 you know if he's negative 10 with the bench because he's the only thing that we got out there he ends up a plus 10, and that's not quite as impressive. But his contribution is not as important for that. So take it with a grain of salt, but it's an interesting statistical line. The plus minus is used in what we also have talked a little bit about, we've mentioned in passing, is the five-man rotes. Um, so basically what we're saying what is... What is a rote, Cole? It's a rotation. <laughs> so uh, five... So totes. It's totes a rotation. <laughs> so uh, five-man uh, rotations are... Uh, a stat used to um, okay. Of, what's a rotation? Okay, so the five players on your fl- on the floor at the same time. What's a player? <laughs> <laughs> five players on the Colson floor at the same at time. Three in the morning. I'm a player, baby. Uh, five players on the floor. I'm at the not same a player. Time. I just crush a lot. <laughs> I just crush a lot. Dang. Clink. Uh, <laughs> and there are all types of stats you can. Um, Attached to each five-person uh, group, right? Um, and that's so, in simplistic terms, basically, you've got a starting five. Think of a bench five. Right. That's you know your first rotation, your second rotation. Right. Just but if you but if you have say uh, you bring in one of those guys, those bench guys, and put it with four other starters, and right. that five-man right. unit plays better based on some the, of this plus-minus right. and some of these stats. So that's a different rotation. Yes, right, I, mean, exactly. the, I mean, the only thing that's important is a rotation implies some degree of... It's five guys on the floor of, together. Of turning. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're spending some time on the floor together. Well, right. But on a, on, on a regular basis, right? A rotation implies regularity. Well, I mean, I, I actually can find you, like, uh, the right random... Here, <laughs> I can find you the stats on a weird five-man lineup that was that. that was run for five minutes this season, and I can tell you whether it was successful or not based on five-man routes. But that's not a so, road. That was a so five-man well, lineup that, was, that we played that was one very, time. That was a very. I took off my hat for that. Yeah, one. you did. For the for the for the listeners at home, 
Uh, John just it was so as it as if it were the end of a fire piss piss right. But so I, I want to step back and just say so we're we're spending a lot of time talking about stats and stuff like that. And that an easy question is like why do we care, right? Like what do these stats mean? But so and I think that they're a an indicator of sort of how the game went. So if you're looking at say you didn't get to watch the game, you can look at the box score and almost decipher sometimes yeah. how things went. You can glean what happened, right? right? And I think it's informative if you're uh, following the team, right? You can see that you can follow a player from day to day and from week to week and, and sort of point your attention towards things that might be interesting that the statistics are bearing out that maybe just watching the game wouldn't, you know, sort of point you to. And I think specifically as Pacer fans, there's a couple stats that are especially important to us, which I think everyone at this table pays very close attention to. One is turnovers. Mm-hmm. When we limit our turnovers, we win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, the other huge one for us um, is rebounding. Yeah. When, when we're dominant on the glass or the boards, we tend to win. We tend to win. Um, and then I would say shooting percentage. Shooting percentage. And opponent's shooting percentage. Right, right. right. I, I mean, so I almost feel like that. I mean, that's a derivative stat, right? Yeah. We, uh, you know. Well, we talk about our dominant defense, and what, what that means is we're holding the opponent's field goal percentage low. We're forcing turn. Well, it actually doesn't have to do with forcing turnovers necessarily. We don't. But we tip a lot of balls. I mean, that would be a number, yeah. number of field goals. Our breaks. high rebound rate. Um, points per game that we keep the other team to. And so we call that finishing a possession, right? If you get if you defend well and you get the defensive rebound, we call that finishing a possession, right? We finish that. Like we didn't give another chance to do it again. And, and that's one of the most important things in basketball. The other thing that we throw around a lot are, are sort of advanced metrics or advanced stats. And <laughs> if, any, if anyone Sorry. is interested in what this means, yeah. uh, there's plenty of stuff on Google for it. Um, we're a little too nerdy. Yeah, no, it's it's super nerdy stuff. But I mean, there's there's 18 million ways to break down. That's in Pacers uh, 301. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's why we like 601. We're yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It is it is geekdom. Behold, and fear. I think we all have to sing it together. Do we have to? I thought we were yeah, just getting drunk together. No, no, you have to sing it with me. No, no, no I think we should sing it. The party is over. Thank you, Jason. You guys suck. Wildcat strike. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> well, you can uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter at. Does this make my voice sound cool? Theunbeatables dot com. We're on Twitter at Unbeatables, and that's all we do. Look for us on the telly. Which is short for television. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that, is we're, that, we're gonna like explain everything. Is about that like it? that flat square in my living room? Yeah, yeah. That was a burn. That was a rope burn. <laughs> <laughs> a rope burn. <laughs> <laughs>